Hi there, and welcome to the podcast, Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Climate change, what does it mean? I would venture to guess that even a mere school-aged child would be able to answer that question admirably at this point. Now, if you happen to agree with that sentiment, then I guess you could say that there has been some progress, at least, from a general awareness standpoint concerning the climate crisis we all currently face. Another buzzy and arguably overused term, which is more or less understood, would be sustainability. These constructs can elicit a myriad of emotions, as well as understandings relating to both our own failings and opportunities moving forward when it comes to the environment. However, I would have to say that having a grasp of these issues is no longer enough. The bar has risen. We're well past the point of self-congratulatory exaltation. What is required now is a major step forward as far as building off the back of past climate-based ideologies, aforementioned understandings, and data. We need innovative assessment and approaches incorporating new strategies theories and the latest data put together in such a way that the dream of successful management of climate change issues transitions into reality. Fortunately, there's been no shortage of expert minds and organizations proposing such ways forward. Even more encouraging is the fact that we're on the precipice overlooking further positive change. There has been a steady flow of climate tech investment and opportunity taking shape all of which is centered on heading off climate crisis-related issues and finding ways for us to forge new circular pathways forward, which acknowledge our deeply complex relationship with our planet. Our guest today is someone who is eminently qualified to speak on such matters, as you'll soon find out. Michael Smith is a general partner at Regeneration VC, an early-stage venture fund supercharging consumer-powered climate innovation. The firm focuses on seed and Series A investments in circular and regenerative approaches to consumer industries. You may have heard about his company recently in their successful closing of 45 million USD in funding to make sustainable consumer goods available across Omnichannel. The firm has also generated a certain buzz by attracting significant backing and advising from several high-profile individuals, including actor and film producer Leo DiCaprio, as well as renowned architect and circular economy pioneer, William McDonough, both of which Michael and his partner, Dan Fishman, have known for quite some time. In addition to investing over 30 companies prior to this role, Michael brings years of environmental organizing experience, having formed Pond Valley, an environmental initiative comprised of philanthropy, research, and impact investments. As an example of not only Michael's reach, but also vigor towards making positive environmental impacts, He assembled an emergency climate summit following the 2016 election with former VP Al Gore, General Wesley Clark, the Department of Energy, and Harvard leadership. He currently serves on the boards of PVBLIC Foundation, a registered nonprofit that mobilizes media, data, and technology for sustainable development and social impact, 
And he also sits on the board of the American Renewable Energy Institute and the Sustainable Climate Alliance. Furthermore, Michael is a founding advisor to Salk Institute's Harnessing Plants Initiative and served as a venture fellow at UC Santa Barbara's Bren School. In addition to his environmentally minded passions and activities, his early experiences read off as somewhat of a magical ride, seesawing between high-level success within arts and entertainment, as well as that of media and real estate businesses. And take his years of being a highly successful global touring DJ, performing alongside the likes of Guns N' Roses, Rihanna, and Diplo, and add into his launching and scaling of the Playlist Generation, a leading background music provider to over 10,000 retail locations. And finally, throw in his entrepreneurial efforts in co-founding the company Creative Space, an adaptive reuse real estate firm responsible for 80 projects in LA and San Francisco. Summing this all up amounts to a talk that I'm sure will leave listeners with a much deeper appreciation and level of insight pertaining to the world and work he's involved within. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome you to the program, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely had this circled on the calendar for a while. And uh, thanks for taking some time. It's a, it's a pleasure and a great opening. Thank you for really covering all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, part of the reason I'm excited to get into all of this is just that, is that background, which I'm sure we're going to dive into later on. It is so unique and it's so different. And uh, I'm sure it brings just like a, a wealth of unique perspectives to everything that you do. So yeah, why don't we get into it all? The first segment I have is something called Coloring Wikipedia. And basically, it's a segment where I try to add some zest to otherwise dry explanations of what people do. And I have you down, of course, as a venture capitalist. So maybe what I can do is I'll just read off this definition. And as you're listening to it, just perhaps you could think of it in the context of what you do at Regeneration VC. And then afterwards, I'll just ask you a few questions. Does that sound good? Perfect. All right. Excellent. Here we go. A venture capitalist. Venture capitalists focus on a form of private equity financing that is provided by venture capital firms or funds to startups, early stage and emerging companies that have been deemed to have high growth potential or which have demonstrated high growth in terms of number of employees, annual revenue, scale of operations, et cetera. Venture capital firms or funds invest in these early stage companies in exchange for equity or an ownership stake. Venture capitalists take on the risk of financing risky startups in the hopes that some of the firms they support will become successful. Because startups are face high uncertainty, VC investments have high rates of failure. The startups are usually based on an innovative technology or business model, and they're usually from high technology industries such as IT, clean technology, or biotechnology. So there is, Michael, a bit of a mouthful, to be honest. But within the context of what Regeneration VC is all about, how does that stand up, that definition? Yes. So when you look at traditional venture capital versus climate-focused venture capital, you have a great definition around traditional venture capital that you just highlighted. And of course, there is more. And so half of our job is to do what we call that business check, to make certain that company's solid, the team's solid, right? Is it viable? How can it scale? Do the numbers work? All the things that go into underwriting and investment. But as a climate VC, we also have an additional layer of environmental measurement and metrics around what we do. So we need to understand from a variety of lenses, is this better for planet than what it's displacing? Are we getting rid of toxic and harmful chemicals? 
Does it draw down atmospheric carbon into things like soils and natural systems, right? Um, Is it, how does it impact water? And then you got to consider the scope one through three emission sets of the, you know, utilities it's pulling from and the company itself and the consumer use of its products, all of these things. And so a climate VC has that additional layer that we have and we employ. And for us, we need to check both of those boxes. So we need to make sure it's a great business that can scale and hit the type of returns that we want. We believe, and we'll get into our thesis more, but we believe that there are outsized returns, meaning better than market up to 15, 20% plus compounded IRR returns, and that there are measurable environmental benefits to what we can do such that the bigger this business gets, the more good it is doing for solving or displacing a harmful activity that may exist currently in what we'll define as the linear economy shortly. Mm, That's really insightful. And it's really interesting. As far as that goes, I mean, that whole, I guess, climate tech and climate related data technology means evolving at such a pace now, as our technology improves, our ability to measure it is also improving. What was that like, at least initially, in terms of trying to find or set those sort of parameters that you would evaluate a startup on? I'm guessing as well, that's an ever-evolving sort of process. It's a good guess. It's the right guess. Um, There's a flood of new companies that are solving for all the measurement and evaluation challenges that are occurring within what you might refer to as ESG-type businesses or other related environmental businesses things like life cycle assessments, think of that as like calorie counting for carbon effectively, the bills of materials, the stuff that goes into products that science is evolving. And we're really in a new and exciting age within that field. When I started seven years ago, almost eight years ago, measurement was simpler. Um, It was much more hands-on, much less automated. There were far fewer players. Standards were being discussed. Now they're much more actively set and changing. Um, So it's just gotten, frankly, much more robust and exciting, but also equally confusing. I was about to say, yeah. So much happening, right? Yeah, yeah, I would think so. I mean, quite compelling, obviously, as you just sort of alluded to there, but then also to that that challenge of trying to relearn constantly new ways of measuring all of this and the science as well, (laughs) the science behind it. So, well, it would keep you, keep you on your toes, I suppose, at the very least. <laughs> no question. It, it's definitely the work we do is for people that intellectual curiosity bodes well. Like you're always learning so much yeah. every day. I'm, I'm just getting something that really blows my mind, which, which yeah. is exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. I mean, if you can find that on a day-to-day basis, that, that's never going to be a bad thing, I would think. So, yeah, good. Based on all of this, what would be a typical day or even week for you for operating within Regeneration VC? And as I stated earlier, you know, you closed on that 45 million USD about what, a month, maybe a month and a half ago or so. I saw that in the news. So yes. it must be exciting, busy times for you right now. What would be a, a typical day for you? It really is. The fun part about a emerging fund, right, or, or a new fund we, we haven't been around for decades. We don't have billions of dollars under management. And so it's very entrepreneurial. 
we are building this car as we're driving it, right? And so my day-to-day looks like everything from helping manage our our core team. We've got this great group of analysts. I've got a great partner in Dan and in Katie and in David with differing strengths. How we manage that core team, overseeing an advisory group. You alluded to some of our advisors. We have these world-class minds from different disciplines that help us think through problems and, and work on actual initiatives, which we can talk about called supercharging. Then sourcing deals, right? How do we how do we find these investments? And that comes from venture capital funds, that comes from entrepreneurs and founders, from our advisors, from universities, from accelerators, all these places. How do we make sense of that? Then taking them through investment. How do we consider them? How do we present these things at our what's called investment committee, the group that decides what we invest and how much we invest in, how we allocate, and then how we follow on into future companies and report and so on and so forth, long memos and so on and so forth. We have, you know, our digital presence. We have things like that we're doing like this, where we're, you know, um, looking to educate more people on, on what we're doing and on this world so that there's more of us. We need more funding in what we're doing, more entrepreneurs working in these spaces, right? So I am so busy and, and I love it. I wear many hats at the moment, I look forward to the day in the future where I wear less hats, but it's it's really, I mean, that because that will have meant success, but it's really fun. It's a really uh, a great time to be doing what we're doing. It sounds like it. Yeah. And like I said earlier, I mean, I would assume all of that keeps it quite fresh for you. And again, those learning opportunities are never ending. And also too, what struck me about what you're saying, it sounds like a lot of systems, you know, one systems that you have in place, constantly measuring to see how effective they are, but then also looking to adjust, making sure that they are malleable enough that they're going to be evolving in such a way that's going to lead to efficiency in what you're doing and keeping an eye on those things and paying attention whether or not they are efficient or not. And I'm guessing, yeah, that's probably one of the other hats that you're wearing is just kind of stepping back once in a while and trying to survey it all and seeing how it's all sort of meshing together to, to produce the results that you hope for. So that's really well described. I would say it is not the norm in, you know, venture capital is moving in that way, but because we were built very recently, we, we used a lot of learnings and tools to create systems and what we call standard operating procedures that, you know, affect each part. The deal comes in here Here's how it, you know, here's the, the responses, there's where it goes. I mean, it's, it's, it, it allows us to get through thousands of potential companies to find the few that, you know, yeah. we invest in. And so it, they're powerful. And then we can get learnings over time to see where we made mistakes and what changes we need to make. So it, it is that kind of like MVP process and, and, you know, lean thinking applied along with everything we're learning along the way. And that doesn't even get to regenerative, which is, I think, some of the most interesting and unique things that we're working on right now uh, in the world, right? Like we're one of the only funds in the world that are thinking and talking about that for better or worse. So uh, (laughs) hopefully we can get that to be more popular as well. And happy to talk about that, but. I'm sure we will. Well, that might be a nice segue into the next segment here, actually, a Q&A discovery where we can just basically continue this back and forth. And I have some questions prepared for you. Maybe we can just fire away if that's all right. Please. Yeah. The first one here is concerning some of your backstory, which I think is absolutely fascinating, by the way, and we'll probably dive into it a little bit later on. But in terms of, I guess, you know, in reference to some of your past businesses, past works, 
and this transition into climate-based initiatives and like a fund built on trying to tackle this major, major issue of, of climate crisis that we're in right now. The question here is that, was this sort of decision for you to move in towards climate change and environmental issues, was it a gradual slow burn or was it something that was affected by a significant event or happening? Maybe you could comment on that. I'd love to know. So environment was always the topic I cared about. And um, I would contribute to environmental organizations. I would DJ for some, some really awesome organizations. And, and I saw over time that things were not getting better. They were getting worse. And that philanthropy had a role in the climate emergency. But I had had a great deal of success you know, with, with business. And I had a hypothesis after selling my company a little over seven years ago birth of my daughter, like I've been working so hard towards something. I had a great outcome, which is just like, how, how blessed was I to be a DJ and have a music business and make money? I mean, that's like unthinkable, right? To me, it was. And so at that point, I was like, wow, I really want to give back. I really want to do more. And this environmental issue was sitting there and, I, and none of my contemporaries were talking about it. And it was like, this is such a big deal. And as I started to look into it, I found that there were very few people investing at the time in climate tech. There had been a bubble or a disaster, if you want to call it. The first wave of solar occurred and and people were spooked. And, And so all my friends were telling me, don't do it, don't do it. And as I got into it, I started to learn as I was thinking about the investments what was going wrong on our planet, like all these different breakdowns that were happening and in a very real way. And I started meeting national labs, professors and scientists and founders and, you know, these brilliant people that started to take me under their wing. And I went from being, you know, educated at sort of like the highest level to like really getting into the weeds on a lot of key issues. And once you go there, it's very hard to do anything else. Because there is such an urgent moment in our planet, it, and it has not gotten better. It's gotten far worse in the last few years. And so you really need to find within yourself when you see that, what is it that I can do if I go all in on this? Like, where's that point where all my effort is best used? And I had an unusual background, and that's led to an unusual outcome of a fund. And that's my best way of addressing the climate emergency. I don't think what I've done will work for everyone else, but everyone has their place in this. And so that's what I'm excited about sharing my story around is like, find out what you're uniquely good at. Like maybe, you know, for you, you know how to communicate and and ask these great questions and present these ideas from a media perspective. There's such a good way to influence and educate. And maybe out of this, you know, a few people change their life to really start working on this problem. Right. And so like, maybe that person has something that they bring uniquely from like a science perspective or from a policy perspective or whatever it is, everyone has something to bring to this. And, you know, that's what I've been doing and that's how I've gotten here. Well said. It's interesting. I just had a guest on last week, actually, who is a former United Nations environmental program director. So he was sitting in on UN meetings And for him, he was talking about how back in the late 70s, this report that he read on climate change and how that, at that point, the alarm bells were beginning to ring and nobody, contemporaries were like not really paying attention to it. But for him, he was starting to realize that, no, this is going to happen. We need to get involved. 
And the reason this sort of like triggered in my mind was that you were speaking of, you know, the birth of your daughter, and then you get into the weeds of studying all of this. And once you get into it, it's hard to pull out. And I think that was a commonality with this other guest that I had on as well. He saw this report where things are going. Now he has grandchildren too. So it's even more pressing for him. Yeah. I mean, it's an issue that affects us all, obviously. I mean, that's an, you know, an obvious statement here, but it also makes it quite compelling in that sense as well, is that once you do begin to understand it and significance of it all, you do understand that there is a role to play for all of us in whatever role that might be, but it gets you thinking. And the more, you know, the more, I don't know, a sense of responsibility, I would think, I would hope at least most people would begin to develop. So yeah, I'm really thankful that you brought that point up because I think it's a really important one when speaking about all of this. All right. Well, I do have an, another question here for you, Michael. In the opening, I did allude to this fact that I think we're at this point now that we do need more than just awareness on these issues relating to the climate crisis itself. You know, we need this refinement in terms of intelligent analysis and action that's going to address some of these flaws, these economic flaws in the system that we have or a society as far as how we operate and how we consume. Now, I also understand Regeneration VC fully understands all of that, and it's basically what you're built on. So these circular and regenerative approaches. Now, first off, and this is where the questions are going to come in, is as far as circular economies, regenerative approaches, I think these are terms that not everyone are completely familiar with. I think probably at this point, sustainability is one that people have an idea, they can wrap their minds around. But perhaps maybe you could just really give a basic overview of what a circular economy is. The best way to understand a circular economy is to start with what we have now, which is a linear economy. So we take resources from the earth, we make them into products, we consume them, and we throw them out. This is 91% of everything that we consume goes to a landfill, ocean, natural system, linear path. A circular economy is one where before we make something, we think about what goes into it, the ingredients into it, the materials. Can those materials be reused? Can they be made to last for a long time? Can they be repaired within the design and way we make them? So it starts at the point of design, then it's how we use them. So those materials get made into products. And then when we're done with them, it's how we reuse them. So instead of sending it to a landfill, we now need to collect it and reprocess it through the supply chain that may be recycling, but it could be upcycling, finding a more valuable use, not a, not a you know, sideways lateral move. It may be converting it, taking what was a waste stream and making it into a valuable new product. So circular economy is just a fundamental reimagination where we are getting rid of waste. Currently in our, all of our structures, we need to pay to store that waste and it harms the environment. So it's a double loss. And it's about getting more efficiency throughout all steps, using less water, using less energy, you save money. So if you look at the most circular companies, those are the ones that are like a lean athlete. They're, they're well-run, they're, they're doing great, they're positioned for the future. That's circularity. That's the concept behind the circular economy. And regeneration, is basically biological functions that happen in nature. If you, you know, leave something on the ground, it breaks down, 
right? Mycelial strains come, mushrooms come, eat it, and it decomposes into soil and it enriches the soil. And then, you know, flowers grow out of it or like crops can grow out of it. And that's this idea of regeneration or abundance. And that can happen two steps with the circularity. And this is where we're unusual. It can be in the creation of materials, like I was speaking about at the beginning. So let's say you use regenerative practices and you create crops that you can eat. Those food crops are better for the soils that they just emerged from, for the animals and plants that, that are in that environment. And then they can cycle through and be consumed by us. They're healthier for humans. And then what do we do with when we're, whatever we don't eat, let's put it back in the soil and let's, you know, enrich the soil again. And that's the return of ingredients, biological ingredients back to earth. Mm, mm, well said. No, that's really, you know, simple and straightforward. I think, I think it's going to be really helpful for a lot of listeners. And I think what strikes me about that too, which is really interesting, it's a philosophical standpoint is that it kind of places us within this web of life and living on the planet, where I think part of the problem for us to this point, why we're in these conditions that we're in right now, with some of the challenges that we face is that we put ourselves above all of this and just like, well, we're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to make our lives as convenient as possible and whatever about these consequences, we're just going to push those down the road. Whereas what these approaches are incorporating is that, no, we're a part of this ecosystem and we have to start thinking that way and placing ourselves within it and take responsibility for some of these actions. And that's what, for me at least, is really quite attractive. There's a degree of responsibility that's being taken there. And then also too, it's, it's placing us, I said, like I said, into the system rather than above and looking down on it. And we're, we're the ones, we're the caretakers of the planet. We decide what's good and what's bad. It's, it's not that necessarily, we're part of it. You know, We're part of this ecosystem. Right. So. We are a part of uh, intrinsically. And so a lot of regenerative thinking is informed by indigenous culture. And a lot of circularity is frankly a, a return back to what happened 70 years ago and before. We have invented this linear economy in recent years of single use you know, thinking. That's, that's a brand new invention. 100 years ago, 200 years ago, you know, all of our grandparents, great grandparents, they did not throw something out after using it once. Like that would have been unimaginable. Very rarely would that have happened. And they didn't have, you know, landfill was a fairly unique concept. So these are new ideas. We think they can be undone and we think we can get the best of the past with using tech and all of the future tools that we've created to accelerate it into something much better. And quite frankly, that's exactly what we need. That's exactly what we need. So no, I think that's part of the allure and interest in what Regeneration VC is all about is just that. And I think there is that wave of enthusiasm that's starting to go towards companies like that. Maybe that's a good question or a good segue into that. You could share like one, say one of the companies that you've invested in that illustrates perhaps some of these philosophies in action. Yeah, so, so cruise foam is an amazing one. Basically, styrofoam and polystyrene is a chemical, a toxic that has benzene in it, which is a carcinogen. It's brutal. It's wrapped in most of the objects that you get from your washer dryers to your electronics to everything else styrofoam comes in. We've now banned it in California starting next year because it is a carcinogen. The EU is doing the same, and, and as are other territories. So what this company does is they get paid to take a waste stream from the shellfish industry, which is called Kaitasan. 
And chitosan is shrimp, lobster shells. It also comes insect shells. It's, it's all, uh, you know, all the, all the crustaceans shells. And it's, it's a very voluminous material. And when it goes to landfill, it sits there and it causes methane. So we get paid to take those shells. We crush them into a biopolymer, which is a drop-in replacement into pellets for polystyrene. And we can thermoform and extrude it, which effectively means we can make it in the same kind of styrofoam shapes as we would use the styrofoam, but do it with a waste stream, which also has starches and fibers in it. And then when you get a product, so Sony was a co-investor, I know you're in Japan, they're gonna be shipping products, Sony products in cruise foam. You can put it in your soil and water it down and it's gone in two months, it enriches your soil. So that's circular and regenerative in, in nature. And we could also collect that material and reuse it for other things, biogas or other things. So it's a very you know, dense and, and nutrient-rich material, which can be made into an alternative to a harmful plastic, right? So that's one we're really excited about. We brought our advisor, Leonardo DiCaprio, in. He invested and became an advisor. We brought in Ashton Kutcher. He invested, became an advisor. And you're going to see a lot happening with that. You'll very likely be getting cruise foam viewers at, at home as well in, in the near future. How is that not exciting? I mean, just listening to that, you know, like how is that not exciting, really? I mean, at the end of the day, that that's phenomenal, right? To me, that's what gives you hope, right? Moving forward is one, these philosophical changes that we're making, hopefully, you know, if we can get mass uptake of people just changing their habits. It's tough. But also on the other hand here, like tech, you're starting to get tech in companies that are coming up with these innovative and novel solutions to these major, major issues that we're facing. And that one just blows me away, just the creativity and innovation behind all of that and how it incorporates all of those different elements. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how can that not be exciting for you to, to see things like this on a fairly regular basis? It must be incredibly challenging as well, trying to decide where you're going to invest your funds for companies oh, like that. I mean, it's honestly, it's heartbreaking sometimes because there's not a lot of funds doing what we're doing. And so when an entrepreneur you know, comes to you and they feel like that you're a fit, it's, it's very hard. We can't do them all. And that's why we need more funds we need more you know we need hundreds of us not one or two so take take that as a challenge to anyone yeah. who wants yeah, to do this yeah, too yeah. It's, it's fun yeah totally totally well it also must be a bit of a sign though like the the success that you're having i mean the fact that you've just launched and you know with a significant sum here's the question like what does that meant to you perhaps on like a professional level it's showing that the market is ready for this that consumers are interested in companies like this. They want to make changes, you know, and then maybe just on a humanistic level as well. You know, it's kind of a recognition that a lot of people out there are starting to understand the challenges that we face and want to start making some more educated decisions, perhaps in their consumer behavior. For you, in terms of all of this, you know, the, the fun starting, the success of it early on, what, what does that mean to you? It's an honor to be able to do this work, right? To have LPs, limited partners, our investors that trust us, right? And that see the same vision and that back it. You have to remember that almost half of global emissions come from the things that we consume every day, the things we eat, the things we wear. I mean, almost half. And most of the capital in, in climate tech is surrounding 
energy, building materials, right? Like these core asset classes, if you will. And, you know, nothing almost is going to consumer businesses and industries because they're not enterprise SaaS. They don't scale the same way per se, or like they don't have that de-risking factor. They're, they're stuff. You're building things, right? Hardware. So it's just more challenging, but with us flying this flag with a couple others that, you know, we're hearing about emerge, if we can show that the returns are good, then, then there is a lot of capital interested in this. I can tell you, we got so many no's from amazing people that just said, go do it first and, and come back and talk to us, right? That was a, a normal response from institutional capital, the, the more sophisticated investors with a few exceptions, right? We found some exceptions, but on fund two, on fund three, as we grow and as more jump into the space, it's going to be very exciting because the consumer has so much power in this. Like you and I, we, we can choose what we consume. We can choose. So it's one of the few things that we get. We don't get to choose our laws, right? We don't get to choose our utility, you know, where we're getting energy from that easily in most cases, but we can choose that shirt you're wearing and the shirt I'm wearing. And like, because this uses a certain die, you can buy it and support it, right? And so that voting with your wallet makes a difference. And then it also gets into your head. And so it's just like, you start to be more mindful about other actions you make, about bigger actions you make at your job. Maybe you move your company in a, in a more environmentally friendly direction because of some of the things we're doing, right? And, and that's, that's the bigger why of, of what we see. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Moving on to another question here, actually, for you, Michael, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this point up, and you actually did already, is in relation to some of your high-profile investors and advisors, namely Leo DiCaprio, Ashton Kutcher, William McDonough, in terms of their involvement, you know, how did their participation come to be? For Leo in particular, I mean, his career, he's always been fairly outspoken about the environment. I think that's pretty much out there, and even some of his films as of late have come to reflect that, but I'd love to hear your take on all of this. Sure. I mean, so Leo was a big inspiration to me personally, just, just seeing the way that he so authentically cares about this issue and brought focus and awareness to the issue. And then quietly, you know, he's been, and it's now more known, he'd been an investor into a lot of climate-related technology companies, a number of which I had been an investor in as well. And I gotten to meet him and his team and there was a lot of alignment. And when this idea came to be, and I brought it forward to them, my partners had also had a separate relationship with Leo. And it just was a nice, you know, symbiotic outcome where they were very encouraging and frankly became our first investors and a vital part of the fund and someone that, you know, helped us in achieving a lot of what we achieved. Bill McDonough, I met through one of our advisors who'd known him many, many years and knew I was passionate about this. And we connected and just hit it off. And he said something amazing to me, which was he's a little past 70 now. And he said, you know, when I hit a landmark age, I want to learn a new set of skills. So every 10 years, he learns a new set of skills. So with us, he really wanted to learn about venture and, and how to take all these ideas that he hadn't seen and bring them to life. And he's just been a remarkable conspirator had so many great times with him already and uh and and all of our advisors are are really tremendous and each has its own unique story 
Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. How active are they on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis? Those two are incredibly active. All of our advisors are active on an at least twice quarterly basis where they check in with us. And then we review our initiatives. They're called supercharges. It's the thing that we work on for each portfolio company each quarter. And they help us on those and achieving those and other fund activities. But those two and their teams have a much more involved participation in what we're doing. I see. Okay. Well, shifting over more towards yourself, I alluded to this earlier. I mean, you yourself have a a colorful history to say the least and in the best possible way, I might add. You know, I'm guessing if you look at the traditional way or traditional path to getting into VC and, and running a VC, yours might be a little bit different. <laughs> but like I said, this is, I'm saying in the best possible way here. And I think this is what makes it really interesting as well is that your perspectives and like all that you've done in terms of like globe trotting, you know, DJ, and then also your real estate businesses, media and entertainment businesses, all of those things have offered, I'm sure, just unique takes on all of this. And I'd be curious to know how that has impacted you in what you're doing right now, like how you might view things a little bit differently. Yeah, that's a, it's a fair point. And uh, it's not the first time that I've, that I've heard it. And I, I wear it with a badge of honor, right? Yeah, no, I, uh, that's what I mean. Sorry to interrupt. I mean, yeah. I think it is. That, that's exactly what it is. And I think that's what makes it so interesting is that you are going to have a completely different take versus someone else in the position that you're within. And I think that's what makes it incredibly, you know, as I said, compelling. So yeah, don't take it the wrong way. I think it's really- Not at all. No, I, I think what, what um, I've always seen things, you know, just I've tried to see things in a unique way and find my passion in it. So with music, that was like my lifelong passion. And when I DJed, I wasn't a- you know, top 40 club DJ. I was a down-tempo chill-out DJ. I like did that because I loved that music. And that enabled me to have people come to me and say, this is great music. Can you do it for my restaurant or my hotel? And so then I went into that business and said, well, there's music and the music's terrible and it's not good. I want to make it sexy and cool. Like I want to go into B&B and like make that like, you know, really sophisticated. And then with real estate, like everyone would just throw up these silly signs, right? Like, here's my bad, you know, real estate sign. And my partner and I were working with artists and cool businesses and brands. And we were like, let's make our, the signs we're putting up on the building in a neighborhood, a piece of art. Like, let's make it dope. Like, this is creative space. Like, we want to, we want to like really change the way that you see your community. And we would keep Starbucks out of an area and we would move in at like a cool third wave coffee shop. Like we protected the place, right? Like mm. we helped we did deals where we didn't even make money just because it was like, we needed a market in the area. It was just like very amazing placemaking. And so if, when I moved into the environmental you know, game, my thing was like, okay, I'm not going to just join the crowd i mean i want to know who they are i want to hear from them but like i I don't i'm not going to start another nonprofit, or i'm not going to go to work for some you know generic environmental fund not that there were a lot of those but like i I just have to do it my own way yeah um for better or worse honestly it makes things a lot harder because when you can swim in the lanes that are working you can just like you know you can you can like hopefully someone sees this and go, wow, he worked really hard and he showed yeah. me this lane and we can yeah. take it and make it 10 times better. Right. Because yeah. by the way, with this problem, I want everyone to copy me like, please. But <laughs> exactly, so, yeah. 
I've always just had that just a little bit different, you know, and, and I, I can't help it. It's just who I am and, and I can't change it. And like, that's that. And we want to make VC, like our fund, it does not feel like a venture capital fund. It should feel like a movement. It should feel like a cool thing. Like, I want to be a part of that. Like, yeah. I want to work with that. We want to talk to the best founders in the world in our space and have them say, yes, like, what can these guys do for us? Yeah. I want to work with them. And so, you know, that's the, you just always be questioning and thinking. And, and, and I would let be also remiss to say that my superpower is like at any moment, like you can go and find that song and play that perfect song. And like that applies to a lot for me, right? Like yeah. what's the right idea for this moment? What's the right like company to talk about or to, to learn about, or I'm always curating, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it's a really interesting way of, of looking at it. I, another thing that sort of struck me as you were talking is sort of opportunistic. It's, it's reading what's going on around you, understanding all these different contextual factors, and then trying to figure out what would be, what would fit here, what would improve this in some capacity. And that that's a skill that applies within music, as you just said, you know, within real estate, as you were just outlining, and obviously within this space of climate change and what we're trying to accomplish here. So I can see, I can definitely see that point. And I think that's a really interesting one that you raised there. Ah, really fascinating. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks yeah. for helping me sharpen it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have one last question here in this segment, and it's about kind of what we were just talking about right now, but it's more on you. Like, what is your world like right now? I mean, there seems like there's so much going on. It must be incredibly exciting. It must be you know, challenging at times. But how are you managing all of this, you know, personally as well? Mm. That little daughter that I have has a, a brother now. So she's seven oh. and he's five. And they keep me, they bring so much joy to my life. And my wife is just so supportive and incredible that um, I feel really blessed to have that that core at home. And that just furthers my why of what I do every day of just really keeping that going. Our world hit a, a really um, challenging point with what occurred in Russia and now what's occurring in our supply chains with inflation and everything else. And to us, this is this breakdown of the linear economy that's happening. I think it positions us well in the near future, but I think it is disruptive for all business and for all investors and just changes how things are happening. So thinking through that, thinking through how to, you know, both address it and then draft off of that for getting us to that next paradigm shift. That's mm -hmm. a lot of what's going on right now in my, in okay. my world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good. I mean, it sounds like you have that balance there around, like, like you said, the kids will kind of bring you back down, down to earth, just being a dad, just being around. And then you have these major issues that you're trying to solve for all of society and culture and, and everything else to that. But yeah, it sounds like the balance is there and it's helpful. Yeah. Alrighty, Michael. Well, let's shift on over into another segment here, something called a water cooler story. And basically I just ask guests to indulge listeners with the story relating to their profession. So I'd be eager to hear what you have for us today, Michael. There's a good friend on my mind right now. His name is Hal Conklin. And I met Hal when I was 14 years old. He was the mayor of my hometown here in Santa Barbara. And he was the gentleman who helped get recycling going. Uh, one of probably three or four in the U.S. That, that really made it happen. And he was a real champion of environmental progress on a number of fronts. And 
basically, you know, our fund and, and this idea of circularity comes from and is inspired in a lot of ways by Hal. And he was a close mentor and friend and you know, just wanted to shout him out. He passed several months ago, had a battle with cancer, but, you know, I, I carry his spirit with me and, and he was an active supporter of what we're doing now. So that came to mind when you, you know, when you had asked about water cooler and, and special people. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. You know, it's interesting how those things as well on a humanistic level can really propel and, and push people forward in so many different ways. And it sounds like in your case, that's been a driving force for you in one sense. So no, thank you for sharing that personal moment with us. All right. Well, we are heading into the final segment here, something called the crystal ball segment. And as the name implies, we're looking to the future. Usually it's trends, predictions, so on and so forth. Now, as far as you know, moving forward, and a lot of your business is built on this, it's, it's built on the future, it's built on building a bigger future, a better future for us, one that we're, we're more plugged into to our ecosystem, as we were speaking about earlier, and part of this web. What gives you hope in that sense? I'd imagine it would have to do with a lot of the companies that you see and the passion behind some of these initiatives, but I'd love to hear what you'd have to say about that. Yeah, there is so much opportunity in waste, right? When we're throwing so much away, just think of your own consumption. When you look around you, think of your neighbors, when you see it, that is to us an opportunity, right? We don't even know what waste is. Like we call that a material stream or ideally just a misplaced material. And so when you start with that as a premise and then you go out and find opportunity and build businesses around that, you can reimagine everything around you. Everything you know behind you in your screen, everything that you're wearing, whatever you just consumed and drank and whatever, that's just a big, big opportunity. And you can approach it from biological, which is nature-based solutions, or technical solutions, which are more into that circularity that we spoke about. And in the near future, we think that applies well beyond just the material stuff. It applies to carbon. So we've invested in carbon devalue products. So one of our companies captures carbon that would otherwise be emitted from HVAC systems out of a flu and creates carbonates, soaps, or fertilizers that you can make from carbon. Another company we have captures chemical plant emissions from BASF and converts that into a carbonate that it makes into sunglasses. So you can literally wear sunglasses or make diamonds or make other materials out of carbon waste streams. So the innovation, the big thought for, for this segment, I guess, is that the innovation is incredible and it is here. It's just a matter of focusing it, scaling it, bringing it to market, incentivizing it right. There's a lot of hope around that. That gives me a lot of hope that we can we can get ourselves on the right course. Yeah, well said. The future does offer a lot of hope when you put it that way. You know, when you consider all of these things, all of what's going on behind the scenes, all of these companies, all of these innovative minds coming together. And like you said, it's just this refinement essentially of bringing it all together, putting it in such a, a form that it is going to scale, that it is going to get in front of people whereby the, they can make these intelligent decisions. 
and they have the opportunities to do so. And I think that's the stage where we're at right now is just allowing people want to do this. I think it is starting to gain steam, but we still need to get to that point where there are several different you know, opportunities for them to make these choices. So yeah, and what you guys are doing with Regeneration VC, it would seem to me like that is the goal is just putting it out there, allowing for a lot of this change to take place that we can hopefully begin to, to head off some of these challenges that we are facing. So, well, with that said, Michael, I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure and I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this discussion. I mean, I could go on for hours probably talking about all this and probably you could too if it weren't for your incredibly busy schedule. So maybe with that in mind, we can close things off. But once again, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. For those interested in learning about Michael and his work, you can do so at the website, Regeneration VC. And you can also look him up on LinkedIn. For reference, all this information will be included in the show notes. And if you like today's show, please be sure to share. I mean, the more we learn about one another, I think it's never a bad thing, right? We understand the joys, the pressures, the stresses. It kind of lessens that divide or tribalism, if you will. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcasts. And head on over to YouTube. We recently launched a channel over there where you can check out the full video episodes of these talks like we had today with Michael. The interesting thing there too is that we do kick off those videos with the slideshow associated with the talk. So it kind of takes the, the enjoyment to a different level, if you will. And then finally, don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details, professions, and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.